Class is in session. Grab your notebooks because you're about to get schooled. This is Coach Dwayne and welcome to Sports School. I am your host, Coach Dwayne, just a regular teacher with a sports mind. So, as our warm-up for today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. I'm from Georgia. I live in North Carolina. I went to App State. I have an unhealthy amount of sports knowledge. Uh, and I have a love and a passion for debate. And I tend to have some crazy opinions. So, um, but before we get into sports, I wanted to tell you a story about how poorly um, I taught a lesson last week. So I taught a lesson on the Olive Branch petition, which for those of you that don't know, it was a last ditch effort by the colonies to avoid going to war with Great Britain in the Revolutionary War. They sent it over there. It was similar similar to a peace treaty. We don't want to fight. We just want our rights. And so I teach this and I give a quiz. I ask the students, how was the Olive Branch petition received by Great Britain? What was their response? How did King George respond to getting it? One of my students puts, it was received by truck. Now, this is when I knew I had clearly not taught this student very well. Because A, they did not realize that the Olive Branch petition took place in the revolutionary time period. That was number one. Number two, I realized that this student did not realize that the colonies and Great Britain are separated by a giant body of water known as the Atlantic Ocean. That was number two. Number three, I realized that she did not understand what, how was this received by King George meant. I don't know if she thought the Olive Branch petition was something you could order on Amazon and it was delivered via UPS, FedEx. I don't know. Clearly, I did not teach this very well. And this is why I have started sports school, a class where I am the coach and I know I can give this information correctly. This is why I have ventured into sports podcasting because maybe teaching was not the way to go. So today we're going to get into the NFL. We're going to get into the NBA. We're going to get into college football. We're going to talk a little bit of golf when we close things out. So for our first segment, we're going to hand out grades. We're going to hand out grades just like any teacher does. We got A's. We got a B. We got a C. We got a D. We got an F. Uh, And today's A goes to the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills have dethroned the New England Patriots. They have won the division. This is crazy. Um, There were Josh Allen haters out there. Now it is time to ask ourselves, is Josh Allen an MVP candidate? Is is he in the running? We're not saying that he's going to win the MVP, but should he be in the discussion? Is he in the top three? Is he in the top five? Where is Josh Allen in the MVP rankings? And when you look, he's got pretty solid numbers. He's got 4,000 passing yards this year. Again, this is still with two games to go. He's got 30 touchdown passes. He's got nine interceptions. But you also take into account, because it's Josh Allen, he has he's 17 yards shy of 400 rushing yards. He has eight rushing touchdowns. Josh Allen is carrying, along with Stephon Diggs, this Buffalo Bills team. 
But the question when it comes to the Buffalo Bills is if they come into a situation where they have to play the Chiefs in the playoffs, the best way to beat the Chiefs, you keep their offense off the field. You keep their offense on the sideline. Because if Patrick Mahomes and that offense can take the field, they are going to put up points. You watched last week when they played the Saints. Why the Saints didn't incorporate Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, even Taysom Hill into their, their game plan more, I don't know. It allowed the Chiefs offense to keep taking the field. If Buffalo plays the Chiefs, can the Buffalo Bills run the football? And I think the answer is no. I don't trust the Buffalo Bills run game when it comes playoff time. Josh Allen can't be your source of running the football. You have to be able to sustain drives, prolong your drives, keep them going. I know they have a stable of running backs in Buffalo, but they haven't been able to get out of those stables. Um, So that's in the future. Maybe that changes. Maybe over the next two games, Buffalo figures out how to run the football. But for now, we're going to celebrate the good. They win the division. Buffalo gets my A. My B. The B goes to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is dominating this year. Derrick Henry is an absolute monster. And it's now time to to ask ourselves, is Derrick Henry getting to 2,000 rushing yards? Is Derrick Henry getting to 2,000 rushing yards? I believe he is 300 or so rushing yards away. And the way that they just feed Derrick Henry the football, I think it's a possibility. I think he he can get to 2K. Um, the next question when it comes to Derrick Henry, their next game is against Green Bay, and it's in Lambeau Field. And this may be a situation where Green Bay doesn't want to play in Lambeau. It's cold. People don't like to hit when it's cold outside because those hits hurt a little bit worse. And if there is anything that that school bus of a running back for the Tennessee Titans likes to do, it's to hit. He likes to hit you. He wants to run you over. He wants to throw you via stiff arm. It seems every week there's another disrespectful assault charge-esque stiff arm from Derrick Henry. Who wants to tackle Derrick Henry in the cold in Wisconsin? It's cold. He runs hard when it's hot. He hurts you when it's hot outside and you have to tackle this man. And now we're going to Green Bay where that's a team that can run the football. They can keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. That defense has to tackle that man. He's a beast. I think he gets to 2,000 rushing yards. And I think the Tennessee Titans have the best shot of knocking off the Kansas City Chiefs. No, no slight to the Buffalo Bills. But I think if Derrick Henry can carry this football team and Ryan Tannehill can continue not turning the ball over, I think Tennessee is the team that Kansas City does not want to see in the playoffs. Now we're going to go to our C. Our person that gets a C for this week is the rookie from Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts. This kid is a winner, and he has seemed to spark plug the Philadelphia Eagles offense in a way that Carson Wentz did not seem able to do. 
Jalen Hurts had four touchdowns on Sunday, threw for over 300 yards, rushed for 60, three through the air, didn't turn the ball over, and he looked very similar to his quarterback counterpart for the Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray. Now, the reason Jalen Hurts gets a C and he's not higher is that his team did ultimately lose the game. But when you look at the numbers that Jalen Hurts puts up and you look at his counterpart, Kyler Murray, you got to ask yourself, if Jalen Hurts had DeAndre Hopkins, is he putting up Kyler Murray numbers? Because people love to talk about Kyler Murray. These numbers are close. Kyler threw for three touchdowns. Kyler Murray ran for one touchdown. The difference between the two is that Kyler Murray threw the interception. The additional difference, Kyler Murray threw to DeAndre Hopkins 11 times, nine of which were for receptions for 170 yards. If you give Jalen Hurts that wide receiver, Jalen Hurts is putting up video game numbers the way that he's playing recently. And I think this is not good for Carson Wentz. This is not good for the Philadelphia Eagles. The if you It's time to move on from Carson Wentz, I think. I think it's mental at this point. I think he needs to get out of Philadelphia. But that cap hit that comes with getting rid of Carson Wentz is going to hurt. The kid is a winner. Jalen Hurts is a winner. He could play on my team any day. He seems to win wherever he goes. He plays his role. He's not a diva. When he was benched in the second half, when he lost his starting spot to Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama, he didn't complain. He played his role, sat back, finished the season, seemed to get along very well with Tagovailoa, transfers to Oklahoma, wins the job, gets Oklahoma very far, is in the Heisman conversation. The kid is a winner. When the Eagles drafted him, people said they were going to use him similar to Taysom Hill. Jalen Hurts is not Taysom Hill. He has proven that he can play the quarterback position. Again, over 50% completion percentage, three touchdowns, 300 yards, 60 on the ground with another touchdown. Jalen Hurts, if you win, you get an A. You lost, you get a C. Moving on, our guy that gets a D um, is Mitchell Trubisky. And Mitchell Trubisky, when he had the opportunity to silence some of his haters, he got to play Deshaun Watson. And he took advantage of that opportunity. He played very, very well. He put up decent numbers this week. He didn't play poorly. He didn't lose the game. Which brings us to my most interesting stat of the year thus far. And that is that Mitchell Trubisky is undefeated as a starter this year. Mitch Trubisky is undefeated as a starter this year. And now it's time to ask. We asked it when he was starting earlier and he was putting up okay numbers. You know, are the Bears better with Nick Foles? Now it's time to ask it the other way. Are the Bears a better team when Mitch Trubisky is the starter? Now, I will say this about Chicago. Chicago did the right thing this week against Minnesota. They fed David Montgomery over 30 carries for Montgomery, almost 150 yards, two touchdowns. But Trubisky, when he was asked to pass outside of the one interception, did what he was asked to do. He managed the game, didn't overly turn the ball over, did what he had to do for his team to win. He handed the ball off when it was time to, made passes when he needed to, did just enough to get the Bears past the Minnesota Vikings 
He's undefeated as a starter. Are the Bears better with him at quarterback right now? Stats don't lie. You kind of have to say yes. Does that mean that the Bears shouldn't look at quarterback? Absolutely not. I think you have to. I don't think either one of those quarterbacks is playing well enough where you can go, yeah, I don't think we need to look at quarterback. I don't think quarterback is a position of need because that's just not true. The other thing about Mitch Trubisky, and Bears fans probably don't want to hear this, is Trubisky playing well enough to keep Matt Nagy his job? Is Matt Nagy deserving of keeping his job? It wasn't that long ago Matt Nagy was on the hot seat. It wasn't that long ago we were asking what's going on with this offense. He's supposed to be this offensive mind. But now Trubisky, again, is playing well enough to win games. He Now, granted, he beat a very not good Houston team. But he outplayed Deshaun Watson, the guy that everybody was like, oh, I can't believe you traded up to take this guy over Watson. He outplayed Deshaun Watson. This week, he didn't outplay Kirk Cousins, but his team did. His team won. He is undefeated as a starter. He's a game manager in the right system. Trubisky can win you a game. Do I think he should be a starter in this league? Probably not. He should be a, a desired backup. Trubisky can come in and win you a game when you need him to. He can hold it down for short spurts, but he's undefeated as a starter this year. Again, my favorite stat of the season. Now, RF. Who got a failing grade this week? Well, two. Two teams got a failing grade this week and they happen to play each other. It is the Rams and the Jets. Let's start with the Rams. Let's start with the Rams. Right when you think the Rams are going to take that next step and you're like, they can contend in the NFC. They, they, they could knock some of these higher teams off. They do something like this. And they lose to the winless, until yesterday, New York Jets. And this is what I've said about the Rams all season. I like Sean McVay. I think he's a great coach. I, I think that Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in football. I think... Ramsey is the best corner in football. You can't trust Jared Goff. You cannot trust Jared Goff to win you a football game when you need to win a football game. He he has a costly turnover yesterday. He can't deliver the ball in, in times of when it was just absolutely necessary. Cam Akers gets 15 carries. He struggles to run against that Jets defense. And you lose... A stre- the opportunity to stranglehold the division if you're the Jets or if you're the Rams, I'm sorry. And now you have to win out to win your division. Starting with Seattle next week. As opposed to winning this week, having a better chance, you know, having some wiggle room. This was supposed to be an automatic win. This, I guarantee you, cost some people their parlays. Sean McVay should be angry. And then Rams, really, it is time to ask yourselves, can you win with Jared Goff? You have a dominant defense. You have an excellent receiving core. Cam Akers looks like he's going to be a a dominant force. Can you win with Jared Goff? I'm not convinced that you can. Now on to the other side. 
You poor, 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 poor New York Jets fans. You had it in the bag. You had it. You had a franchise-changing quarterback there for the taking. And you let it slip away. You did what I thought was going to happen against the Raiders. And, and Greg Williams, all-out blitzes, and you find a way to lose that game. But now, now you won again. And players always want to win. I understand that. And Sam Darnold has to know that if the Jets take Trevor Lawrence, his time is numbered. He's he's, he's not... People are going to be clamoring for Lawrence to take the field. But you had Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway. You had a sure thing, a sure thing franchise changer coming to New York. And now if everything stays the way that it is, you're picking second. And now what do you do? Because there are question marks around Justin Fields. There are question marks surrounding Justin Fields. He he puts up huge numbers until he plays a good defense. Look at him against Indiana this year. Northwestern this weekend. Clemson last year in the playoffs. He puts up big numbers. The guy has potential. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Trevor Lawrence, and you had the opportunity to take Trevor Lawrence. You had the opportunity to change your franchise. And you didn't do it. You won a game. You messed it up. And now you're picking second. And now it's time. Do we pick up Sam Darnold's fifth-year option? Because you know what you got with Sam Darnold. Justin Fields is a question mark. You really want to start all over? I think if you're the New York Jets and you end up at number two, I think you pick up Darnold's option, I think it's time to trade down for one of those teams that really, really fall in love with Justin Fields. But you had the franchise changer, and you lost it. And that is why both the New York Jets and the Los Angeles Rams get F's for the week. Now, we're going to move on to our sports lesson for the day. And that is, it's almost NBA season, fellas. It's almost time for the NBA. And we're going to make some predictions, some of which are bold, some of which are chalk. And that is our Eastern and Western Conference predictions. We're going to start with the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference I have being led by Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. Here's why. I think on paper, Brooklyn is a better team. I think To start out the season, Brooklyn is going to have to gel and and learn how to better play together. And I think they're going to lose some games early on that ultimately cost them that one seed to Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee knows how to play together. Um, I think they have a great regular season coach. I think that doesn't mean that I don't think Steve Nash knows the game of basketball. I think Steve Nash knows the game of basketball. Is he a good coach? We don't know yet. There's no evidence of that. And so now he's got KD. He's got Kyrie. You got the rumors surrounding that James Harden wants to go there, which if I'm Brooklyn Nets, I don't touch him with a 10-foot pole. 
But I think Brooklyn ends up with the two seed. I do think Brooklyn's talent allows them to overcome those potential chemistry issues or working through the kinks early on in the season. And I think they end up with the two seed. I got Toronto at three. I don't think the loss of Ibaka and Gasol are as costly as a lot of other people think. I do think it's going to cost them. I do think it's going to cost them some wins. But I think Van Vliet and Lowry are going to carry this team. I think Nick Nurse has shown us that when you count Toronto out, he's going to coach them back in. It's one of those where coaching matters in the NBA. And Nick Nurse is a great coach. And I think Toronto ends up with your three seed. Number four seed, I'm going with the Boston Celtics. I think the is Kimball Walker Walker healthy? And I think that's going to cost him some games early in the season. And does that injury linger? You know, when he comes back, are there still remnants of that injury? Is he is he playing timid because he doesn't want to get re-injured? How long before Kyrie, not Kyrie, Kimba is 100%? We don't know. But Boston is a great team. Again, just like Nick Nurse as a coach in Toronto. Brad Stevens is a great coach. They have Marcus Smart. They have Jalen Brown. They have all the pieces. They found a way um, to get out from Gordon Hayward, which I understood it when the signing happened. It was reuniting with his coach. I think not making that trade is going to haunt Boston. You had the opportunity to get Miles Turner, who seems like a perfect fit with Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Kimball Walker with what you want to do there in Boston, but they don't. Danny Age got greedy, bit him in the behind. But Boston ends up with the four seed. I think your reigning Eastern Conference champions end up as a five seed. This is not a slight against Miami. This is because I ultimately think they're going to trade their depth for James Harden. And I think it is going to prove detrimental. James Harden does not play the type of basketball that helped Miami win last year. I think Miami ends up trading for Harden because it's a name. They lost out on Giannis. I don't think they should do it, but I think they ultimately do. And that is why I think Miami ends up as a five seed. Even if they don't, I think maybe they they get to three and you bump Toronto and Boston down one. I don't think the, the style of play that they played in the bubble is sustainable for such for for an entire season. Jimmy Butler playing the minutes that he played in the bubble and and in the finals, it's not sustainable. Teams are going to figure out Duncan Robinson. You got to be able to put the ball on the floor at some point. Tyler Hero is the guy that I'm excited to see. Made great strides as a rookie throughout the year. Ready to see if he takes that next step. I think he ends up being the major piece in the Harden trade. And I think if I think Harden's going to Miami. I wouldn't do it if I were the Heat, but I think they're going to. But Hero is a guy that I'm excited to see this year and take that next step. And then obviously they have Bam Adebayo, who is just dominant 
can he continue to stretch his game out even further? And if he can stretch that game out to the three-point line, he'll be a force to be reckoned with. The sixth seed, I have your Philadelphia 76ers. And I think Philly and Daryl Morey specifically made fantastic moves in the offseason. I think they they found a way to get out from the Albatross contract that was Al Horford. I think they added shooters around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, which is critical. I just don't think they have enough to get past those those five teams that are in front of them. I think teams are going to make Ben Simmons shoot the ball. If if I'm playing Philadelphia, I'm playing zone. I'm not allowing Ben Simmons to penetrate and beat my team. I'm not allowing Joel Embiid to get the ball on the block and just dominate one-on-one. I am playing a zone defense against Philadelphia 76ers. And can Seth Curry and Danny Green beat me? If Seth Curry and Danny Green beat me, then they, they just had a better night. I'm not letting the other two do it. And the fact that neither one of them is a, a, a shooter that I'm afraid of is why I think Philly is a little bit too one-dimensional to get to rank up and compete against these better teams in the Eastern Conference. My seven and my eight seed are the ones that may shock you guys. My seventh seed is Washington. And maybe it's because I, I just have an affinity for Russell Westbrook. The dude plays hard. He doesn't take nights off. Russell Westbrook is just that dude. You know he's going to give you everything he's got every single night. And I think he's a better version of John Wall. I think Washington got better in this trade. I think him and Bradley Beal figure out how to work together. I think Bertans continues to shoot the rock at an unbelievable clip. I think Hachimura takes the next step. I I think Washington is a team to watch. I don't think they're good enough to get past seven. I think defense will be an issue with that team outside of Hachimura, who seemed to be a good defender last year. But I think they can score. They can definitely put points on the board. And so I have the Washington Wizards as my seventh seed. And number eight. The Atlanta Hawks. I think the Atlanta Hawks sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed. I do think they'll end up being one year ahead of schedule. But I think they're good enough to get that eight seed. And I spoke earlier about Philly's offseason. Atlanta is a close second. Atlanta had a fantastic offseason. You get two backup guards that are... You get Rondo, who can mentor Trey Young. You get Dunn, who is just a great defender. And then you, you're trusting that Cam Reddish is going to continue his growth. And before the season shut down, Cam Reddish was growing at an exponential rate, and he was putting the ball in the basket, and he was turning into a scorer. DeAndre Hunter is a great defender. Now, can he take a step on the offensive end? Who knows? But their offseason pickups in Bogdanovich and Gallinari 
That team is starting to look like a force. And then you got Clint Capella. Capella has looked great in the offseason. We got the Hawks got him in a trade. Last year he didn't play. Now you got a guy down low that can rebound. He can play defense. Does John Collins' game expand? Does he continue to be able to shoot the three? Atlanta's potential lineup and Gallinari agreeing to sign on as a six-man is, is a coup for the Hawks. But that starting lineup of Trey Young, Bogdanovich, either Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter, John Collins and Clint Capella, that's a dominant five. But then coming off the bench, you got Gallinari, who can play the three or the four. You got Rajon Rondo, who, if you need him in spurts, I don't need you to play 30 minutes a game like you did in Boston. I just need you in spurts. You got done. You got the whichever one didn't start between Hunter and Reddish. You got Kevin Herter. And then you got the rookie Onyeka Okongwu, who's Clint Capella number two. I think the Atlanta Hawks are good enough to sneak in as an eight seed. Now we move on to the Western Conference, which... There's no denying seems to be the deeper and more competitive conference in my mind. This was harder for me to pick who I thought my eight teams were going to be. But we started number one with the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers. I think that duo is dominant. Am I prepared to say that they're the best duo of all time? No. Am I prepared to say that they're one of the best duos of all time? Also, no. I don't think they're the best duo in Lakers history. I think I'd take Kobe and Shaq over that duo. I take Magic and Kareem over that duo. But the duo for now, best, arguably the best duo until we see how Kyrie and KD look in basketball. Number two, I got the Denver Nuggets. I think Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic continue to improve. I think Michael Porter continues to improve. I think Bol Bol sees the floor more. Grant's gone. We saw him in limited action. I think he ends up being the steal of last year's draft. The Nuggets are... Jokic and Murray are a dominant duo. I think the Nuggets are a force to be reckoned with. They pushed the Lakers. And I think that chemistry that they have, I think Michael Porter Jr.'s development, I think Bull Bull's development... I think that pushes them to the two seed. I don't think they're good enough to overtake the Lakers, but I think they can push them. I definitely think they can push them. My three seed is the Golden State Warriors, and if Klay Thompson hadn't got hurt, I I arguably say they could be a one seed. But I still trust Steph Curry. I trust Steve Kerr. I trust that system. I think they got better. I think James Wiseman is a steal at where they got him. I think it's perfect for what they want to do. I think Andrew Wiggins continues to take steps in the right direction. And I think Steph Curry is still an MVP candidate. He's still hard to stop. He's still the best three-point shooter, arguably, of all time. I got the Golden State Warriors as a three-seed. Number four, I got the Clippers. 
I don't think I would have given Paul George that contract. But I do think Paul George is a superstar. I think he's the second best player on his team. I definitely think there's no doubt in my mind. There's no argument. Anybody that I have on this podcast that tries to come in here and argue with me is wrong automatically. Kawhi Leonard is definitely the better player on the Clippers and arguably the best two-way player in basketball. I don't know if the two of them are a good fit together. I think the Clippers lost depth. I think losing Montrezl Harrell is going to hurt the Clippers worse than they think. And the lack of depth that the Clippers are going to suffer with, the Lakers got. It's another reason why I have the Lakers at one is their depth. The Clippers don't have the depth that they used to. And I think Patrick Beverly is arguably overrated. I think you could argue that Patrick Beverly is overrated. I think he talks a lot. I think that's why he gets some recognition. But I, I don't think he's this just super lockdown defender that everyone claims that he is. I think the Clippers still end up with the four seed. I think they're good enough to end up with the four seed. I think their duo can get them to the four seed. But I think they're going to be pushed for that four seed by my fifth seed. And I got the Dallas Mavericks. And let me just tell you, Luka Doncic is going to win the MVP. Luka Doncic is going to win the MVP. He's going to average a triple-double. I'm telling you right now on December 21st. Luka Doncic is going to win the MVP. He's going to average a triple-double. And if Kristaps Porzingis can stay healthy, and that's the big if, that duo is dominant. Now, are they on the level of LeBron and AD and Kyrie and KD? No, not even, not at all. But they're in that 3-4-5 duo range if Porzingis can stay healthy. Luka has proven that he's that guy. Whether he's playing the 1, the 2, the 3, he's a mismatch everywhere on the floor. And there doesn't seem to be much that he can't do. I think he continues to make steps. I don't think he's peaked. I think he's in his prime, but I don't think he's peaked. I think his game is going to continue to get better. And that's why I think the Mavericks pushed the Clippers for the four seed. But I think the Kawhi Leonard effect gets the Clippers at four, but the Dallas Mavericks are my five seed. My six seed, again, another contract that I personally wouldn't have given. Uh, the Utah Jazz. I think Donovan Mitchell is a dominant scorer. I think Rudy Gobert is great defensively. I wouldn't have given him the contract. I would not have given him that deal. I think I would have played with him to about the deadline, saw where I was, and then I'd I'd traded him. I would have traded him somewhere else to another team that would give him that deal. Um, But I think Mitchell's offense combined with Gobert's defense makes the Jazz good enough to be a six seed. My seven seed is one of the teams that I'm most excited to watch this year. I want to see how they grow. Um, And that is the New Orleans Pelicans. And this isn't because of Zion. This, for me, is more because of Brandon Ingram. I think Brandon Ingram is Kevin Durant light. He's diet Kevin Durant. He has that potential. He's long. He's linky. He can score. But then, yes, Zion is there. They got rid of Drew Holiday, but you have pieces all around. 
And they're a very, very young core. And I think they're going to continue to grow together. And they're going to continue to get better. And they just have a lot of dudes who are good basketball players. And lost in the Zion, the Zion hype last year, Jackson Hayes, I think he, you know, we talked about Rudy Gobert with the Jazz. I think Jackson Hayes is Rudy Gobert light. I think this young core is going to develop. And much like I said about the Atlanta Hawks, I think they're maybe a season away, but I think they're good enough to get seven. I think they're better than the team that I picked as the eighth seed, which was the Phoenix Suns. And this is the Chris Paul effect. I love Devin Booker. I love Chris Paul. I don't trust the Phoenix Suns beyond that. And I was a big DeAndre Ayton guy. I thought DeAndre Ayton was going to be a game changer. He's not as big of a changer as I thought he was going to be. But if the Suns can continue the growth that they showed in the bubble, and Chris Paul can continue to play at that level. And here's my thing about Chris Paul. At what point does Chris Paul start to diminish? At what point have we held on to Chris Paul too long? Because it doesn't seem like he's getting any worse. The Suns are banking on Chris Paul being Chris Paul. The same Chris Paul we've seen for years. They're banking that he doesn't decline at all. Father time is undefeated. And I think eventually Chris Paul is going to decline. But I think that the Phoenix Suns are good enough to get the 8th seed and get swept by the Lakers in the playoffs. So, to recap our lesson for the day. The Eastern Conference 1-8, through eight, according to Coach Dwayne. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Toronto, Boston, Miami, Philly, Washington, Atlanta. In the Western Conference, Lakers, Nuggets, Golden State, Clippers, Dallas, Utah, New Orleans, Phoenix. And the Western Conference was much harder to pick, I thought. But now let's see who's got detention. The College Football Playoff Ranking Committee, you have detention. You have detention with Coach Dwayne because how is this format still only four teams? How? When are we going to realize that four is not enough? This was the year to try it out. The COVID year. Major League Baseball changed the rules just for the COVID year. Just to try some new stuff out. Let's see what it looks like. DH in the National League. They changed the conferences around. It was based on geography. It wasn't American League and National League. This was the year that you could do it and just try it. College football refused to do that. And I don't think you have to go very far to find a model. And I'm not saying you copy this model. Don't don't take what I'm about to say as this is the model you should copy and you should follow because I don't think this is exactly it. But you could take some lessons from the FCS. Again, I'm an App State alum. I went to App State pre-Sunbelt before they were Division I. The FCS takes their eight conference winners and they all get a bye. Everyone else competes to play one of those eight teams. And they set up a bracket. It's far too many teams for Division I. I'm not saying that that's the model you go to. But I am saying 
that the way you have this set up doesn't make any sense at all. Four, four is not enough. Four is not enough. At the very least, in this system, the group of five teams are never going to get in based on this system. And that is evident by the rankings. Iowa State has three losses and is ranked 10. Coastal Carolina is 11-0. One of the three teams that beat Iowa State is Louisiana. Coastal Carolina beat Louisiana. That was one of three ranked opponents that Coastal beat this year. Coastal beat Louisiana. They beat a ranked Appalachian State. And they beat a BYU team that was not previously on their schedule until that week due to COVID. And they beat a Power 5 school. Now, should Kansas be Power 5 in football? No. But they are. It's a Power 5 win. Coastal is ranked two slots below Iowa State, who has three losses. Three losses. And here's my thing, college football playoff committee. The eye test is too broad of a term. It's way too broad. Because anybody that watched Notre Dame play Saturday and said, based on what they saw on Saturday, Notre Dame is one of the four best teams in college football, is lying to you. Now, does it mean Notre Dame doesn't deserve a shot? No, that's not what that means. Because they did beat Clemson earlier this year, whether that was without Trevor Lawrence or not. But in a four-team format, they don't. And I'm not saying that one of those slots should have gone to a group of five team, like Cincinnati or like Coastal Carolina. But I don't think Notre Dame is one of the four best teams. But again, it comes back to why is this only four teams? If we expand to eight, hypothetically, if you expand to eight teams, all of your Power Five conference champions get in. And then you got three wild card spots. And what you want to do with those three wild card spots is to each their own. In my opinion, I think an undefeated group of five conference champion like Cincinnati, like Coastal Carolina, should automatically get one of those wild card spots. So this year you'd have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, which I know sounds gross, should probably be an eight seed in this situation. Cincinnati, Coastal, and then you're debating, does Texas A&M or Notre Dame get it? And just because they were, like I said, Oregon sounds gross, but they were a Pac-12 champion. In this scenario, they should probably be the eight seed. But your group of five champions get in, or your group of five undefeated champions have a shot. They have a chance. In this current format, they do not. Hey, how about just a group of five play-in game? What if, what if we expand to six teams? And you get you make Coastal and Cincinnati play each other for the right to play Bama, who got a bye in the first round. Again, then at least your group of five teams get a chance. They get a shot. This is not fair 
to the group of five team. And I understand that it's all about money. I get it. They're not going to draw as many viewers. They're not going to make as much money as these bigger schools are. But for them to not even get a say? Why do we love March Madness so much? Because smaller schools surprise us. And they beat bigger schools. Unless your favorite team was in it, we were all cheering for George Mason. We were all cheering for UMBC, unless you were a Virginia fan. We love the smaller schools. We love to see the smaller schools get a shot to knock off the big dogs. In this four-team playoff format, there's never a shot. And then to go a step further for college football. How is Army not in a bowl game? Army is 9-2 and and not in a bowl game. South Carolina's in a bowl game. They're 2-8. and eight. Three and seven Mississippi State, you can't make this up, is in the Armed Forces Bowl. But nine and two Army is not. It's biased system. It's a biased system. That is why the college football playoff rankings and bowl selection committees, you guys have detention. Now we're going to close this out. Our homework for the week, your homework segment, lesser known sports topics that deserve some recognition. Lost in this weekend of sports, Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie, they, they, took, they took the course together. And Charlie Woods is a beast. Charlie Woods looks like his dad. Charlie Woods was the only person to eagle a par five uh, I forget which hole number it was. But he his five wood from the fairway that ended up feet from the hole. Beautiful shot. Gorgeous shot. On Sunday, he hit a putt and he hit him he hit everybody with the tiger fist pump. It was beautiful. Great thing to watch. I love I loved it because Tiger seemed to be enjoying watching his son play as much as he was him playing himself. Charlie Woods has all the potential in the world. Will the media put too much pressure on him and will that pressure ruin him? That is the question. But from what I saw over this weekend, that kid's talent is immense. You should all go watch it. Go look at it. And that is your homework for this week. This concludes episode one. I want to give a shout out to my man Marlon Williams and the Marlon vs. Marlon podcast. I was on with them. They were the influence. They were the inspiration for me to start this podcast. So thank you to them. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you to all of you that have tuned in for episode one. Be ready for episode two. More hot takes. More grades. More lessons. More detention, more homework, but hey, at least it's sports class homework, and that concludes sports school for the day. I will see y'all in episode two.